Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. According to the scripture, the contrast between the world and our God is very distinct. Uh, Even though God is the creator of this world, there is a huge difference and contrast between the creator and creation. There is a contrast in location. The Bible says in Psalm 113, verse 4, The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the nations. The Bible also says in Psalm 47, verse 2, The Lord most high is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. So the Bible is very clear. There is a great distinction or difference or contrast between our God and us. And one of them is location. Our God is on the pinnacle of heaven, we're uh, uh, underneath, here below on earth. And we must recognize that He is high above all nations, and He is the most high, and He is the King of kings over all the earth. There is not only a contrast in location, but there is a contrast in time. God is eternal, man in the world is temporal. The Bible says in Psalm 102, look at verse 25 to 27 on the screen, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hand. They shall perish, meaning they shall dissolve, they shall go away, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy year shall have no end. Jesus Christ, same yesterday and today and forever. You know, our God has, has no effect concerning time because he is eternal and he inhabits eternity. And, uh, but as we think about our lives today, we are limited by time and we wake up in the morning, there's end of the day and we have years to count. And as we think about years to count, we have an end to consider. But our God does not have any end. He is eternal. So there is a great contrast between God and us. We are just temporal, but God is eternal. So not only location and time, but also there's a contrast in power. The Bible says in Isaiah 20, verse 28 down to verse 30, Has I not known, has I not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he can kiss his strength. Even to the youth shall, even the youth shall faint, faint, and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. You see, the Bible is also clear that our God never gets tired. Even young men who are strong in their youth, you know, they get tired. They get weary. You know, my children are very, uh, you know, active, you know, always asking me during the week, especially summertime. And they, go, they come up to you, Brother Chan, you know, and they say, I don't know what to do. And I say, I don't know what you should do either, you know. And you know how kids are, you know, and they want to stay active. They want to do something. And, and uh, you know, they don't want to just sit around. And, and even though they have that much energy, you know, by the end of the day, they get tired. And some of you young men who lived and who are just muscular, you know, you go out to 24 all the time and, and you could bench, I don't know, 300 or whatever. But, hey, you get tired too. All right. Don't show your muscle to God, all right? And uh, because you get faint, you get weary. But our God never gets weary. 
Now, you might be thinking, how about the seventh day? Why did God rest? Well, God rested for, uh, for our behalf so that we will observe the Sabbath day and so that we will observe that day so that uh, 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 men will know that we could give glory and honor to God for the creation of this world. It's not because God had to rest from his work. And by the way, God created this world, not with his hands, but with his words. He spoke this world into existence, you know. So God is all-powerful, and uh, there is no uh, uh, weariness or, uh, uh, I guess, uh, 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 fatigue that he has to endure in his life or in his eternity. And uh, there is a great contrast in power between God and us, and not only location and not only uh, time and power, but there is a contrast in thinking in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are the higher, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there are more contrast and comparison as we think about our God and us, and as we think about our thoughts and what we imagine. God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Sometimes we're thinking, Lord, it doesn't make sense. Lord, you know, I don't know how you're going to come back. And I don't know what your promises, uh, what you promised to me are true. And, and it, I don't know how it's, uh, it's going to all work out. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. There is a big contrast between our God and us concerning our thoughts. The thoughts. And also what we plan for in the future. And some of you young people are thinking, I don't know what's going to happen to me in my career after I graduate college. But let me, know, let me tell you, God knows. His uh, thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And some parents are thinking, I don't know how I'm going to raise my children. And uh, I feel a little bit stressed out. But I want you to understand, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Trust him. He knows. He knows what you should do. I'm just simply saying that we serve a great God this morning. We serve a very powerful God. We serve an infinite God. We serve a a God who's everlasting. And and as we observe this contrast, let us uh, uh, recognize that our God is high up above and the world is beneath. And our God is eternal. This world is only for a season. And our God is all-powerful. This world is weary and faint. Our God is infinite in His thinking. And this world is very limited. And I believe that as creation today, as people today, hey, we need the Lord. We need His help. Because He is infinite understanding. He is outside of this time. He knows the beginning to the end. He is all-powerful. He is over all the earth. He is sovereign over all. We need Him, my friend. But how tragic for men to say that they don't need God. How people, they conclude that even that they're better than God. They even claim that there is no God. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do it good. Notice that statement. Who said that in his heart? The fool. According to Scripture, when a person says that there is no God, that person becomes a fool. 
That person might claim themselves to be wise, but they have become fools. Look at Romans chapter 1 in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. And their foolish heart was darkened, just like Psalm 14. They, he had a, these people have a foolish heart. In verse 22, let's read this together. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We don't, they don't acknowledge the true God, the creator of this world. The Bible says they are claiming, some, claiming some, themselves to be wise, but at the end they have become fools. Men are not getting any better when they claim they know, they, that they, there is no God. Men, marriages do not get better when they claim there is no God. Families do not get better when they claim that there is no God. Nations do not get better when they claim there is no God. America is not getting better. Why? Because many people are are not willing to be under God, as we talked about last Sunday morning. And uh, I think about uh, uh, this uh, uh, university uh, professor, I think, introducing Hillary Clinton, I think, uh, in the primary season in the spring... I was going to show you a clip about her, and, and she was introducing her, and, and she was kind of uh, 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 reciting the uh, uh, Pledge of Allegiance and, uh, to the flag. And as she was, uh, 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 I guess, uh, reciting that, she stopped herself when she said, One nation. She kind of stumbled over, her and she kind of skipped that next two words. What is it? Under God. She said, one nation, individual. And uh, our nation do not want, many people in this country now do not want to be under a higher authority. They don't want to be under God. They feel like they don't need God. They don't need uh, the Bible. They don't need Jesus Christ. But people are getting waxed. People are waxing worse and worse. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this world is not doing better because they claim that there is no God. Or they, when they claim that they, they know better than God. This world needs God. Because on their own, they are self-degrading and self-destructing. This world needs higher this world needs eternal authority. This world needs powerful authority. This world needs intelligent authority. And the contrast between God and men speaks loud and clear that men need the Lord. How could we ever say that divorces are good for any nation or any society? When parents are split up and children do not understand why father and mother do not love each other anymore. How is that good for society? And they want to just kind of reject the word of God concerning one man and one woman. And, and uh, they want to reject a lot of the principles in the scripture. They don't want that higher authority, infinite authority telling them what to do. And I guarantee you, as a nation as a whole, as this world as a whole, we are suffering even more today because people are rejecting the word of God. They're rejecting God Almighty. You know, how could you say that drinking is good? How could you say that, you know, uh, 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 drugs are okay? And how could you say that freedom and all those things are fine? When society is going down to the 
uh, uh, down to the tube and, and nothing is good happening and everyone is seeking their own pleasure and, and they're being deceived and also deceiving others. How can we say that we don't need God? And as Christians today, I believe that we need to understand this more clearly once again. As born-again believers, I hope we all agree that we need the Lord. We needed Him in salvation, didn't we? We needed His forgiveness. We couldn't save ourselves. We know that we were sinners. We know that as sinners we die and go to hell. So that sin and it shall die. For the wages of sin is death, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You see, hell is real. The lake of fire is real. And, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, we knew that that's where we were going and, and that we needed to be saved. We need to cling to our Savior, Jesus Christ, because He is the only Savior. He is the only God that could save us from our sins. And we trusted Him and, and we believed in His resurrection and, 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 and we believed that He is our Savior and we invited, invited Him into our lives, into our hearts. And we know we, we knew that we needed him on that day of salvation. I wonder if you still need him in other things. Can I challenge you with this? We need him in everything. Not just in salvation, but we need him in everything. Our God is better and higher and more powerful than we are. Christ said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I am the same, bringing forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You know, I like to have a good family, I like to have a good marriage, but I cannot have those things unless I have the Lord Jesus Christ abiding in my life and I am abiding in him. So many people just want to have the blessings without God. But we need God. As Christians, we need to be devoted to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that died on the cross. How dare we just be wishy-washy and just be half-hearted. We need to abide in Him. That's the challenge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't just come and go, hey, abide in me. Rest in me. Because without me, you can do nothing. We need it, my friends. As we acknowledge this, this we must admit and surrender to the fact that we need His wisdom. And that's the series that we're going through this summer. And every single day we need to be wise because there are foolish people out there. There are simple people out there. And they are, to, uh, and they are there to influence us. And we need to become more wise as Christians. And we need to live a life above reproach. And we need to make the right decision and the right choices in life. And we need His wisdom that is high and above. And we need His wisdom that is eternal. It is tested through time. And we need His wisdom that is all-powerful. We need His wisdom that is infinite understanding and in thinking. We need Him, my friend. Now, to the world, even to us, maybe some Christians, God's wisdom might seem too simple or maybe too awkward and maybe even foolish. I heard of an ancient Indian legend concerning a king who loved chess. He challenged a visitor to a game and was actually victorious. One day, a traveling sage, a wise man, visited the kingdom and was challenged to a game. To entice him to play, the king offered to give the wise man, the sage, whatever reward he asked if he won. When the king was defeated, to honor his word, he asked the sage what prize he would like. 
the sage asked one grain of rice to place on the first square of the chessboard. And then that it be doubled on each following square. The request seemed very modest, and the king ordered a bag of rice to be brought. Kind of laughed at it, and one grain was placed on the first square, two on the second, and four on the third, eight on the fourth, and so on. But it quickly became apparent that the terms of the request were impossible to meet. By the 21st square... More than one million grains of rice would be required. By the 20, I mean, I'm sorry, by the 31st square, the total would go over one billion grains of rice. With more than half of the chessboard left to go. Like the sage, his simple wisdom of asking one grain of rice might seem foolish, but at the end, It became a powerful request. It became a powerful principle. And as we think about our God, as we perceive it, just maybe from the surface, we that's too simple. That seems a little awkward. How could I do that among my friends? And how could I make those decisions, uh, you know, among my employees? And how could I stand on those kind of principles with my family? It feels so awkward and it feels a little foolish in the standards of the world. But ladies and gentlemen, the word of God, the principle of God, and the wisdom of God is powerful. It might seem very simple, but it is powerful, my friend. That's what the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Take the most intelligent man in this world today. You compare him with God. And his weakness, you could say. Not that he has any weakness. If you compare it, it would be a grand contrast of power and wisdom and also time. You see, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He seemed foolish to not to talk and not to defend for himself at the trial of Pilate and the trial of the Sanhedrin. He was mocked. He stayed quiet and, and he was beaten. He was mocked and he was uh, uh, unfairly tried and uh, uh, he was crucified. He only had three and a half years of ministry. He only lived for three and a half years. And he died on that cross. And a lot of people think that he was a lunatic. He was a foolish man. But thank God he was the Son of God, and that act alone saved the, uh, the, uh, was, was, is able to save the fate of all mankind if they just choose to believe him as their personal Savior. And the gospel that Jesus Christ died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, how simple that message is, but how that's God's wisdom for man so that they could be saved. Why do men want to complicate things so much? And why do men want so much outside of what God has designated to be? It's because they think they're wiser than God. They think that they could do without God. But in their faith, they're they're dying and going to hell. In their faith, they're making poor choices. I want to encourage you today, as Christians, always cling to God and yield to Him and seek His wisdom. 
No matter what the world says, no matter what the world perceives you to be and what the Bible seems to be for them. How can we receive God's wisdom that we need so desperately? I ought to give you just simply three steps of knowledge of getting wisdom from our only wise God. And we need Him today. We need Him every single day. And first of all, the search for wisdom. We need to search it. In verse 3 and 4, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and listest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. And, and as we think about the Scripture, it's very obvious that God has wisdom, but we need to seek it with all of our hearts, and we need to search it desperately. And, and is there a desire on your part and our part? Do we cry after knowledge, as the Bible says? Do we lift up our voice? Do we seek it like a hidden treasure? Do we want God and His wisdom today? Do we desperately want it? James wrote it this way in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. And if you look at verse 6, James is simply saying, hey, if you want wisdom, you go to God and God will give it to you. And he will give it to you liberally. But here's a condition in verse 6. Let's read it together. But let him ask in faith. But let him ask in faith. That's the only condition. God will give it to you liberally. And he will give you uh, 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 in a, uh, in a uh, 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 gracious way if you just ask him in faith. According to Hebrews 11, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith you cannot see. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but do you see him with your physical eyes today? No. We don't see him, but we believe him. We believe our faith is true. We believe that he works. We believe that he answers prayers. We believe that he's changing our lives. Faith is like that. And the world doesn't understand faith. Why? Because they don't have faith. They don't want faith. And this is a challenge, even for Christians today. Because we could simply just walk by sight and not by faith. That's why James says, I want you to understand that God wants to give you wisdom, and he will give it to you, liberally, but you got to ask in faith. And faith is not something that we should overlook. It's not an easy thing to have faith sometimes in this world of media, in this world that just shouts at us, hey, look what we have and look what we do. Look, look, look. See, see, see. Watch, watch, watch. Observe, observe, observe. And we live in that type of era today, and it's harder to have faith now. And I believe this is a great challenge to us. And, and James writes in verse 6, and, uh, but uh, and let him ask in faith, and nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I believe God wants to test us whether if we are serious about receiving his wisdom. And I think some Christians are not serious about it. They don't cry after God every single day. They don't pray to God. They don't search it through the scripture. They don't seek the Holy Spirit. They don't do that. 
They just kind of go about their day and, and just stumble onto things. And hopefully it works well today. And maybe if it works well, maybe God is blessed. They take chances. And then taking faith in their lives and, and proving it to be true and proving that God is working. And ladies and gentlemen, let us walk by faith and not by sight. Let us truly uh, uh, do what God wants us to do and let's really take this challenge and, and if we're going to ask for wisdom, we need to do it by faith. We need to believe that He could give us wisdom and we need to search it diligently. There's a story about a proud young man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. He walked up to the muscular, uh, 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 walked up to the, uh, 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 the well-known philosopher and said, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. So Socrates led the young man through the street and to a pool of water. And upon revival, he dunked him chest deep into the water for a few seconds. Then he asked, What do you want? Coming out of the water, the young replied with a smile, Knowledge, wisdom, O oh, wise Socrates. Socrates put his strong hands on the man's shoulder and pushed him under again. Thirty seconds later, Socrates led him up. What do you want, young man? He asked. Wisdom, O oh, great and wise Socrates. The young man sputtered. Socrates crunched him under the water once again. Thirty seconds passed. Thirty-five, forty. Socrates led him up. The man was gasping for breath. And, and Socrates asked, what do you want, young man? Between heavy breathing, he replied, knowledge, knowledge, O oh, wise and wonderful. And Socrates jammed him under again. Forty seconds passed. Fifty seconds. What do you want, young man? And he replied in a loud voice, air, I need air. Socrates shouted back, when you want knowledge as you have just wanted air, then you will have knowledge and wisdom. Now, this was a humanistic philosopher. And this man was willing to go way beyond to seek for wisdom and knowledge. When I was looking for a picture of Socrates, I ran into a picture of Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs actually said about Socrates, he says, I will trade all my technology that I invented in this world one day with Socrates. And, uh, you know, as we think about humanistic philosophers, you know, they never have no end. They have no end. As the Bible says, ever learning, never able to come on knowledge, never able to come unto the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning, but they never land on the truth of the gospel, the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. They're all still mixed up, whether what is true. And if humanistic philosopher is dedicated to their knowledge, to their wisdom, to the extent that that's all they live for and that's all they're searching for in their lives, I wonder, as Christians, how much we're thirsty and hungry for his wisdom. Hey, we have the truth, amen? We know the truth. We know Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't need to look for somewhere else. We don't need to go to the Far East. We don't need to go to maybe China or maybe Tibet and, and try to, you know, meditate and search for wisdom and search for knowledge that way. No, we know our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know the Word of God is right here before us. Do you seek it? Do you want it? Do you desire it? So the search, for, search of wisdom is a challenge. We need to ask it in faith. Secondly, the start of wisdom. 
Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How do we know that we have started to gain God's wisdom by having the fear of the Lord? God give, God's wisdom is not rocket science, getting more money, how to be successful, how to be positive, how to be self-made man or woman. No, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. In Psalm 110, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Job 28, and unto man he saith, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. Do you want wisdom? If I want wisdom, what we need to do is to first seek the fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? If you make an unwise decision, do you you, uh, fear the Lord of the consequences of disappointing him? And maybe the reaping and the chastisement and the correction. I think some Christians do not have the fear of the Lord. That's why they don't have wisdom. They don't have knowledge. Do you fear the Lord? Do you keep his commandments because you fear the Lord? For many of us, we think that it's more than that. We think maybe it's in the world where God's wisdom is. No, God's wisdom is fear of the Lord. I see, I have met smart people, but not all smart people are wise. I have met rich people, but not all rich, successful people are wise. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm just telling you today, what do you want in life? Yes, there is worldly wisdom. You can seek that all you want. And I believe that at the end you'll be disappointed because the satisfaction of the lust of the world is only temporary. I think it was John D. Rockefeller who said, who replied to a question, how much, money, how, much more, how much more money do you need, Mr. Rockefeller? And Mr. Rockefeller said, just one more million. Just one more million. The lust and the satisfaction of the world will never, ever end. But ladies and gentlemen, when you are walking in the fear of the Lord, when you're pleasing Him, I guarantee you, the satisfaction and the peace of God and the joy of God will always settle you. Think about Job. Job was a great man. He was a great man in society and in his city. He was a rich man. But all things were taken away. When all things were taken away, Job was still at peace. He still had joy. He lost his family. His children were killed. And he lost all his, uh, uh, I guess you could say, company, his work, his lively stock. All these things were gone. But he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was still at peace. He still had joy of God. That's what you need. You don't need another, you know, atmosphere change. No, you need to be changed. You need the fear of God in your life. You need to make sure you make the right decision in life. Thirdly and lastly, the source of wisdom. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth come in knowledge and understanding. Where is God's wisdom in his word? It is out of his mouth where knowledge and understanding comes. How practical and simple it is to read God's word, but we don't desire to. The source of God is this book that we carry today, and we don't need to look for it anywhere else. And wisdom for salvation is here. The wisdom for holy life is here. The wisdom for uh, a marriage and family and finances and wisdom for the church, how to behave 
behave and how to conduct themselves. It's all here in this book. This is our life right here. The source of wisdom comes out of God's mouth. Now, we don't hear Him audibly, but we have His Word right here. He spoke these words, and He has written and preserved it, and we have this book, and we need His wisdom today. You don't need other books. You don't need other philosophers. You don't need other Christian preachers to get God's wisdom. You can go to God yourself. And by the way, some of these mainstream preachers, I, I hate to say it, but many of them do not have God's wisdom. They don't seek it from the Word of God. They seek it from a humanistic point of view. The latest book by Joel Osteen is called The Power of I Am. When I saw the picture, and uh, I there now have the slide up here, and I just didn't want to promote Joel Osteen at Bible Baptist Church. And uh, I saw this picture, and another picture smile, you know. Another great, wonderful hairdo that he had. And then it says the power of I am. And at first, as a Christian, I'm thinking, well, the I am that I am, our Savior Jesus Christ. The power of I am. That's what I thought. That's what I perceive when someone says that. But this is the introduction in Amazon about this book. Can two words give you the power to change your life? Yes, they can. In the page of his book, new book, best-selling author Joel Osteen shares a profound principle based on a simple truth. Whatever follows the words, I am, will always come looking for you. So when you go through a day saying, I am blessed, blessing pursue you. I am talented, talent follows you. I am healthy, health heads your way. I am strong, strength tracks you down. Joel Osteen reveals how the power of I am can help you discover you, your unique abilities and disadvantages to lead you a more productive and happier life. His insights and encouragements are illustrated with many amazing stories of people who turn their lives around by focusing on the positive power of this principle of I am. That's not God's wisdom. There's no fear of God in those, in those words. There's no humility. Rather, we should be talking about the I am that I am. That's the condition of our country. The Christian religion is now positive thinking. What fits best for us? People with itching ears. No wonder Paul said, reprove, rebuke, exhort with law, long-suffering. Because there will come a time where people, men, will have itching ears. They want fables rather than the truth of God. We need wisdom, my friends. Wisdom from the Word of God. Based on the Scripture, not on man. So first of all, sound wisdom. What kind of wisdom comes out of his mouth? Our God's mouth. Sound wisdom. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. The word sound wisdom is actually one word in the Hebrew, tushiyah. It also means efficient wisdom. Efficient wisdom. And this means God's wisdom is able and successful everywhere, anywhere, and anytime. God's wisdom is not too old for this generation. No, His wisdom is always applicable, relevant, and efficient for any time of man. And you need God's wisdom that is sound 
every generation. And nothing's new under the sun, amen? Okay. Just because we live in 2016, that doesn't mean we have improved any uh, uh, compared to the people who lived 2,000 years ago. No, we are all sinners. We all need the same help and the same guide and the same path. We have all gone astray. And we need sound wisdom to carry us through and, and guide us that is relevant and efficient for our daily lives. Now, let it be safe wisdom. He keepeth the path of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. His wisdom keeps us protected. He preserves us. His wisdom keeps us wise from evil and sin. In Proverbs 14, verse 16, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool raiseth and is confident. You see, safe wisdom helps us to not walk to a path that is evil and lustful. And... uh, the problem with us having not wisdom is not because of God, it's not because of the Word of God, it's because of us. You know, we don't seek it as we should, and also, at the same time, that we don't see it as a safety. I think of a pastor, I think I mentioned this illustration before, a pastor was praying with uh, one of the laymen every Saturday morning, and the layman kept on praying, Dear God, Keep me out of all the webs of temptation in my life. Keep me out. And he was praying that every single week. And the pastor got a little fed up with it. And on one Saturday, as they were praying, and the layman ended the prayer, and the pastor said, Dear God, would you help this man not to just take care of all the webs of temptation, but would you kill the spider? What does he mean? You know, help him to die to self. You might have all these webs of temptation in life, but you've got to kill the spider to take care of the webs. You've got to take care of all the temptations. If you want to do that, then you've got to kill that spider. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have safekeeping in your life, you want to have the right path and the right walk, hey, die to self. We are the problem. In my flesh, in your flesh, dwelleth no good things. We are dangerous people. And we could want lustful and fleshly and wicked things of this world. Our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, the Bible says. Who can know it? And we need to fear the Lord. We need to have safekeeping on this path. And we need His wisdom. And we need His safe wisdom for our marriage and our family, for our personal decisions in life, and in, my, in our imaginations. Let her see him done in sanctified wisdom. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity in every good path. Wisdom that keeps us right. Did you know that we are the danger, like I said before? We get ourselves into sin, lust, and foolishness, and we need his wisdom to keep us right. Do you have the wisdom of God this morning? Do you want the wisdom of God this morning? Do you want to live a life that is righteous and pure and sanctified? Meet for the master's use. Do I want that? We need to all yield ourselves to God Almighty. I want to encourage you this morning. Be sure to seek the wisdom of God every single day. Search for it. And uh, realize there's a source for it. The Word of God is the source. 
the Word of God will help you and guide you and strengthen you. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let us recognize the fact that we are limited people. We don't know everything. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. But God knows all things. And we need Him. We need Him. And we need to be guided by Him.